good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever in the world you may be. This is Nicole BC, and you know everything, the Relatable series. I am literally sitting across the table from Coco Dufro, who I've spent the weekend with at VCon, and it has been nothing short of transformative. Coco is a women's wealth advocate and the founder of The Daughter Economy. And she and I are going to be working intimately with each other. And uh, I can't tell you, like, this is how I know I'm doing the right thing. This is how I know I'm on the right path is I am meeting people like Coco. We've also got Sarah Halsia. Hel I don't even know. How to so yeah, it's the, the people that I am surrounding myself with, the people who I get to work with, the people who are inspiring me. I mean, we were just in a room with Snoop Dogg, Gary Vee, Pharrell. Kevin Smith, Deepak Bhai sorry, well, oh yeah, Deepak Chopra, he was our favorite. The universe high-fiving me, giving me a little bum pat and saying, keep going. And so Coco's got like 35 hours of travel just around the corner and she's making the time to be here. And I am deeply, deeply honored. Y'all know what's coming next. I'm going to ask her the origin story. And usually I let people choose. Let people choose. What Are you going to tell me how you got here? Are you going to tell me how this conversation happened? But I need you to hear how Coraline got here because it is unbelievable that it will also allow you to understand why the daughter economy, why women's wealth advocate, why this matters so much more now than ever. And I'm going to let you take it from here. Thank you. Thank you for having me on, firstly. It's an honor. We decided to do this face-to-face -face because I feel like, well, firstly, we knew we were going to be together and we could have done it over Zoom, but time differences, blah, blah, blah. I just thought, why not do a face-to-face? -face? So thank you for having me on. It's a long story, but, you know, let's condense it really. Um, a very, actually, I'm going to take it back a step. Over the last couple of weeks, I've been hearing a lot of people share about ADHD and how like, you know, I don't really believe in any of these things, but the more that, that pe these people are, are speaking about, I'm like, wow, I actually feel like potentially I have ADHD. And as I was watching all the people on the stage over the weekend, a lot of them were fidgeting and a lot of them were doing all the things. And I'm like, oh my God, I see so much of myself in that. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm presenting that because take a little bit of that as I'm sharing my story, because I am always on the go. I am always thinking, I always say to my family or my friends, you know, I was thinking on the weekend and they're like, Carl, you're always thinking, you don't have to preface it with that. So as a child, grew up overseas, so clearly I'm an Aussie, an Australian, dinky dye, true blue for my fellow Aussie listeners. But I grew up in Tahiti, French Polynesia. For those of you who don't know, it's in the Pacific Ocean, a tiny little dot in the middle of nowhere. Obviously, it's a French colony, so French is my first language. Clearly, I don't have a French accent, but I speak fluent French. My whole family's in France, came to Australia when I was nine years old, and the rest is history. As a child, I was fascinated by luxury. I was fascinated by richness. I was fascinated by money. Obviously, all the stories that we've all grown up with, if you didn't grow up with them, then high five to you. But, you know, money grows on trees. You don't talk about money. Money's a taboo topic. I loved to go and look at new home builds, new estates. And my parents thought that I was the most boring kid, but I just loved do doing that kind of stuff. And I was always fascinated by it, but obviously really crushed myself into the boxes that I was meant to be in from what society made me, you know, be in. And also what my parents kind of crushed around me. They didn't do it on purpose. I'm not having a go at them. It's just the way that it was always been a nerd. You know, I grew up, wasn't allowed to watch TV. So I was a bookworm. I read a lot. Obviously growing up in the eighties and the nineties, you went to the library all the time. You read the encyclopedia, you did all those things. You know, I didn't have, I had a lot of friends, but I didn't have really intimate friendships. So I really came to be really insular within myself and kept a lot of those things to myself. Then um, I got in a relationship really young and we both shared the same dreams. I was with an Aquarian man. I'm an Aquarius. And we both just, uh, you know, he came from a background of a single mother with three kids and we both wanted to be really wealthy. And so we purchased our, our first property at, together at the age of, I think we were 19. And uh, the rest is history. We were multimillionaires by the time we were 24. We separated at the age of 27 
at the same time, we lost everything. Then I started my own path at the age of 27, you know, trying to find myself, having been with someone that I had been since I was a kid. Who am I? What am I doing? At the same time, my Saturn return hits me, hit me really good. So it was just like this crazy concoction of like, what the hell is going on? And who am I? And what am I? What is this life? I look back now and I know that subconsciously I created the loss of everything that I had created because there was no example in my life. I had reached a ceiling and there was no one that was beyond that ceiling for me. And so what I did know was that I knew how to get back to the bottom and build to what I had already built, but I didn't know how to get further than that. You know, I always say I want to be the dumbest person in the room. But at that point in my life, my friends were still partying. My friends were still, you know, doing all the things that you do when you're in your early 20s, whereas I already had a portfolio of properties. I had 15 properties. I was a multimillionaire. I, you know, Australia and at that time was very small minded. I'm sure there were people out there that, you know, could have expanded me, but I wasn't in those circles. I also didn't believe in mindset. I didn't believe in working on yourself. I, it's not that I'd, sorry, I take that back. It's not that I didn't believe in it. I didn't know about it. So, you know, fast forward, I'm someone who never gives up. I got back up. I just kept doing the things and I got back into property. I had a property development business and I was like, I'm putting my boots up. I'm not doing anymore. And I, and I went and did one last project that it completely ruined me. So I was back to square one four years later. And that was when I was 32 and now I'm 36. And so, yeah, there's four years there and four years here. And I don't worry, I'm not going broke, but I've rebuilt. And, you know, obviously everyone's scared about the current state of the markets. Don't be scared. It's totally fine. There's a lot of opportunity. Don't buy into the FOMO. But yes, it, that's where I am. That's That's the short version. So, you know, I know what it's like to start from the bottom when you have nothing. I know what it's like to lose it all. I know what it's like to go through heartbreak. I know what it's like to lose people you love, you know, from the physical world and also from your life, physical life in terms of having to break it up and, and start from scratch again and, and making those changes. I was in, in corporate. I left corporate, started my own thing. I always had a side hustle. I'm constantly reinventing myself, constantly. Okay. Wow. Just wow. There's so much that I want to touch on. And I'm probably going to go in reverse order from everything that you said. So you said don't buy into the FOMO with the cycles. We've been hearing a lot about FUD because we've just been at a cryptocurrency conference. And for those unaware or unfamiliar, I should say, FUD stands for fear, uncertainty, and doubt. So when you've lost it all, especially, I mean, the first time around, help me with the maths, but you must have been like 23. No, so I made everything by 23, 24, and I lost okay. around 27. Right. And then again at 32. Yeah. Okay. So at 27, to your point, Saturn return, really hard fucking time. I mean, 27 is infamous. We lose a lot of bright stars at 27. How did you not buy into the fear, uncertainty, and doubt, let alone the FOMO that a lot of 27s are happening? Because sure, you'd build star, but you just fucking lost it. I actually did. So I'm not going to sugarcoat it and say that I didn't. I did. I did. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. To the point where now I look back. And so at this, so, so let me paint the picture. 27 made, you know, I was, I was killing it in corporate left. So at, all in the space of six months, I'm going through a separation. I'm leaving corporate and I'm trying to rebuild my biggest loan and going through my Saturn return. And I have a new relationship. It was crazy. I look back then. And I bought into the fear and the way that I did that was that instead of giving myself space to stop and to just be and live. And like I look at my ex-husband, for example, he did, he went overseas and he did all the things and he just lived his life. I was so scared because he wasn't in corporate. So for him, it was just the breakup. Whereas I was leaving my, my corporate identity, even though I had my businesses on the sides, so I don't know why the fuck, anyway hindsight's a beautiful thing, but I was leaving my corporate career. I was leaving my marriage. So I was leaving all these identities behind. And so then I was like, oh my God, I have nothing left. I have no income coming in because I was still supporting my ex-husband at the time because I was the only one bringing in the cash. So I had to give him half of everything. And I was like, if I don't have any money because I have to give him half of everything, he wasn't working then how the hell am I going to survive? And so instead of taking time to find myself to really work through my shit, I went into FOMO and I went into fear 
And so I straight away went back into the business. I bought half of the business from him when I really shouldn't have. I mean, I wouldn't be where I am today. So I wouldn't change any of it, but you know, hindsight and just busted my ass working, 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 working while giving half of of it away (laughs) and also making sure that I wasn't going to go bankrupt. So I did buy into the fear. And, and the, the reason that I did is because I don't care what anyone says to you, but mindset is everything. And because I hadn't done that work, even though I had found the work, but everything that I was doing up until then, so I'd probably been into mindset work for about four to five years, but it was all surface level. I still hadn't really cracked anything open. I still had all my traumas. I still had all my pains. I still had, I was still carrying the loads from my own life and all the generations before me. And it's not until then. So that was 2014, 2013, 2014. I started really cracking things open around 2016. I went to a thing called Path of Love. I don't know if anyone's heard of it. Look it up. It's actually an international initiative. It is the best thing that I've ever gone to. It's a seven-day retreat. You go there. It's literally all over the world. I encourage anyone to do it. It's, it's what cracked me open. And they do it like they've got it in Australia, in every country, Path of Love. And it cracked me open like I have never been cracked before. It's very intimate. There's only like 30 participants. I actually heard about Path of Love from Yoga Girl. I don't know if anyone follows Yoga Girl on Instagram. She's got 2 million followers. She's around, you know, mid-30s, whatever. She is absolutely incredible. And she, so I still remember it was May, May 2016. She had just come back from Path of Love and she's talked about it. And I was like, oh, I'm going to look into it because I was constantly looking for all these things. I knew, it's like subconsciously, I knew I had to be cracked open, but I really didn't know it consciously. And the next one in Australia was July, 2016. And they only have it twice a year. And I was like, you know what? I've got to do this. I didn't even think about it. I booked it the moment that I went on their website. I just booked it and the rest is history. And it just, that seven days cracked me up. I can't really talk about what happens at Path of Love. We're sworn to secrecy because it's such a, a, a transformative experience that before you leave, you are, you are sworn to secrecy that you cannot speak about what happens. All I can tell you is that it is the most transformative experience of my life. And that's what started the cracking open and the breaking down. It took me four days, four days to break down. They couldn't crack me because I was holding on to so much. My, my connection to my emotions was non-existent. I was just this like hard rock. I was, it took them four days to crack me. And I, and ever since then, I've slowly been cracking open. And my biggest crack, my biggest opening has been childbirth and having a child. I'm not saying that that's got to be the thing for everyone, but that has been the evolution for me. It started with Path of Love. You can still be cracked without having kids, right? If you're a woman with no children, I want you to know that you do not. I, I hated when I used to hear that. Look, I'm 36. I'm only 10 months into my motherhood journey. You do not have to have children to crack yourself open. That's my individual journey. Path of Love cracked me open first. And then it's just been this slow unfolding up until today. Sorry, that was a really long-winded answer. Well, no, just, and we're going to get back to that because I'm actually fascinated. I know you're, well, okay, let me rephrase. I assume you're a deeply spiritual person, but I, like we've never actually talked no, about that. No, that's true. We haven't. Uh, so we're going to get there. But I think something really important that you've touched on a couple different times is your relationship with money, your the way you grew up with money, your ancestral relationship with money. And that's something I know we both talk a lot about. And how influential that is, that absolutely informs, I mean, you are, you are an immigrant. I think because you present so Aussie, people don't realize it. I know that that plays deeply into my own story and my own relationship, and especially my history and ancestral relationship with money. But I'm, I'm, I guess what I'm poorly asking is, what was your relationship with money I think it's obvious, but let's spell it out for the listeners, like how that influenced being like going corporate because you didn't just like get some average job and that job is what funded your then property portfolio, which you were building while also working full time and willing to go like to, to whoop whoop, as the Aussies would say, into the bush. But so anywho, you obviously learned a lot about money growing up, a lot of it passed down to you growing up and you are in the process of transforming that. And that is now your work is enabling women to transform their relationship with money and to 
to change not just their own relationship, but how they engage with money in their own families and with their own children. So really big, poorly worded question, but I, you know what I'm talking about. I'm going to start answering this question by saying that when I lost my wealth the first time around, I'm so glad that I did because the way that I built it was all around luck. We heard someone today talk and like crypto say, best money I've ever lost. Exactly. And I, yeah, I was, yeah. So, you know, I did a post just recently about, you know, are you scared of losing it all? Like if, the moment you have fear in anything, whether it's your relationship, whether it's, you know, whatever, whatever it is, like, it's just toxic. It's so toxic. And so I see now that the way I build my wealth the first time around, it, it was so toxic. And then the second time around, it was just as toxic, if not more that I'm so glad that I've lost it twice over because I get to build it now in, in the most grounded ways. And I'm only 36. You know, there's a lot of people that are starting now and that, that's, there's no, nothing wrong in that. But for me, I'm like, okay, cool. Like I've learned all the things. I feel like I've made so many mistakes and I'm going to continue to make mistakes. Like I'm not saying I've, I, I know everything and I don't. Like I'm entering web three, I got no fucking clue, you know, but I'm just, I'm really grounded in the things that I do now because I know myself because I've gone to the depth of myself and yeah, I, I don't have fear. I don't have fear around the market. I don't have fear around what I'm building. I'm, I don't have fear around falling over. And the first time that I did and the first time and second time that I built my wealth, it was definitely based on fear. And so to answer your question, my beliefs are very much and have been very much around money is not everywhere. Once you have it, you have to hold on to it because there's not enough of it. It's only for the very few. I was a tight ass. I love like I love a bargain. I, you know, made sure that I always bought things on sale. I made sure that I went without so that I could save, so that I had more in my in my bank account than I did, you know, in terms of fun or whatever it might be. I mean, don't get me wrong, I lived large, I, you know, traveled all the time, you know. But I was the girl that at 18 would drink at home so that I didn't have to pay for drinks at the bar. But that's because I had, you know, five mortgages by the time I was 21. And that, that was my priority. Do I regret that? No way. I don't regret it at all. But definitely, like, my foundations were like. This is kind of a sidestep. And I'm going to ask you to kind of go back further because that's a lot of fucking debt. And I know in the States, like, debt is the devil. Is it? Well, I First, from some perspectives, Dave Ramsey and, and Susie yeah, Orman of course. talk about like, you know, of the death slaves and blah, 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 uh, which is not which, incorrect. Which I love that, but you do need to, we don't need to, but you can build a lot of wealth on based on debt, but you have to be able to manage it. That's one of the reasons I lost my wealth in the first place, built over lack and too much debt in the wrong market. Okay, we're going to get back and, to that. And we got, I think we need to do like three episodes. Okay, great. <laughs> I'm going to hear everybody. We're doing Maybe this episodes. is part one. Thank you, Coco. Thank you. But so, but you, you touched on this as well, your energy with money and that relationship with debt. That's why I think debt is toxic for most people is because they're so fucking worried about it. And then they act crazy, whether they're overspending or underspending. They're making decisions out of fear and lack, which we know is always going to result in subpar everything. How did you learn about money? How were you like living the corporate life and then like gambling at all, theoretically? And so like kind of take me back through the history of your relationship with money and then we'll kind of get into like where you're at now. And So I always had simultaneously a corporate career and my business. So I worked all the time. I still work all the time, but I say that in the way that I love it. Like I, I don't do anything that I don't like. So yeah, corporate career, simultaneously working at night and on the weekends on my business. And my business was my property portfolio at the time. So I want to know, because obviously you got into corporate for a reason, and I'm going to guess it was because you were told that's what you're supposed to do. So I went to university, got three degrees in the space of four years because hustler. I'm a generator for anyone asking. Like I have infinite energy. So if you're wonder if you're in a projector or whatever, and you're like, how the hell I couldn't do that? Like, that's just who I am. I'm just an energizer bunny. I had three jobs. I did a, a you know, I had, did three degrees in four years. I was just, that's just who I am. I'm programmed like that. But also, you know, growing up, I'm come from a family of immigrants. I come from a family of farmers. Like you just fucking hustle. That's what you do. You know, so that, that's also my background. Went to university and I genuinely wanted to be in corporate. Like I was like, I'm going to kill the corporate game. 
I'm going to be some badass CEO. That's what I'm going to do. I wanted to work in greenfield sites. So I wanted to work with new new startups. I wanted to work in, in like setting things up. And because I'm a hustler, like startup stage, you need to have lots of energy, but I don't like maintaining stuff. That's boring to me. It's just like, oh, well, you, like it's the same shit, you know, the cycle of business. Every January you do X, every February you do X, oh, that's fucking boring. So I liked startups, greenfield, mine sites, whatever. And so I was like, I'm going to do that. I never really got to that, to be honest. But yeah, so I was in corporate for, let's say, from the age of 19 to 27. And I grew to fucking hate it. Like I never stayed in a job for more than two years. My husband at the time was like, are you ever going to be able to settle and do something? Like, why can't you just stay in a company? I'm like, I can't stand it. I hate the corporate bullshit. And yeah, it just got to a point where I was like, and and I had a plan to get out of corporate, but then because of my lack mentality, I was like, oh no, I don't have enough in the bank. So we'll wait till we have this much money. We'll wait till we have this much money. And it was just, it just never ended. And then one day I got to kick up the ass. I made 500 people redundant. And then in a week, that was a project that I'd worked on for six months. And then the next week, my boss came to me and said, actually, you're redundant. You can take a, a role in Brisbane. I was living in the bush. You can take a role in Brisbane or you can take a redundancy. I did not want to go back to to, to the city life. I, I hated that corporate life. And so I was like, holy shit, the universe is giving me a real big kick up the ass now. And I'm really grateful. I had a massive payout. Obviously, I had to give 50% away as well. But, and I'm paying, I'm being really honest here because I want to paint the picture. Like, I'm giving you everything so that you don't have rose-colored glasses on like Coraline's got it fully easy. Yeah, I got a good payout, but I firstly had to pay 50% to the tax offers because I was in a high tax bracket. Then I had to pay 50% to my, to my ex-husband. So there wasn't much left over after that. But it was also the kick up the ass from the universe to be like, do you actually want to do this? Because you keep saying it and you, your plan was to leave three years ago. You got money in the bank. When is enough enough? Get out. Haven't told you that before. No, you haven't. You guys can't see me, but my jaw was like on the fucking floor and I just said that twice. So fuck, fuck, fuck. Uh, also, just for the Americans out there in Australia, the more you make, the more you get taxed. And so that's why Coraline is taxed so much is, I mean, made a lot of money, but essentially put 25% of that check in your pocket. Not, well, it's 47% goes to the tax office. Uh, under, and then 50% of what was remaining. Sorry, my apologies. Yes. But yeah, Americans would be like, why are you paying so much tax? They also have free health care and you yeah. can go to school. So, you know. There's pros and cons. Yeah, 100%. But okay, so you're kind of bringing us to this idea of the universe and, you know, be careful what you wish for, especially when you you're an incredible manifester and make shit happen. I was like, am I going to talk about your current relationship? Because it sounds like, you know, all that was happening and you met your new relationship. But what it feels more relevant is like where you're at now and how all of this learning, how all of this experience, losing it twice. Why has that compelled you to bring that knowledge to other women? Firstly, as an 18-year-old, obviously the landscape was very different, but I still feel like this is missing in the current landscape, I had no one to look up to. I had no one as a woman that was the example. I also feel like no one really talks about the truth of what it takes to be in business. The only time that I've actually feel like people have been honest and told it how it is, is this weekend. That's genuinely how I feel. Most people get up on stage, do podcasts and like, yeah, I like make all this money and my life's amazing. And, you know, like I meditate every day and like my partner's amazing and my kids are amazing and like life's just great. It's fucking bullshit. Like, yeah, my life's amazing. I'm happy. I have all that I ever need. I'm content. But what's in the background? You know, like I work hard. But then the narrative at the moment is don't work hard. You can have everything that you want. You can do all the things that you want. Yeah, you can do all those things. But there's not one person on that stage today who was like, yeah, you know, like we just take, you know, we, we work one day a week and we take six days off. Like I'm sick of that narrative because no one talks about it. And so anyway, back when I was 18, I didn't have that North Star. I didn't have that person that I was like, I want people to be like, if Coraline can do it, I want to do 10 times better than her. Like I want people to be better than me. I don't want people to be like me. I want to be better than me because I want them to be like, that's the line in the sand. And I know that I can reach that and more. Whereas for me, I was like, Richard Branson, 
Donald Trump, Gary Vee at the time, but even then, he, you know, like all these people that are, Warren Buffett, that are untouchable. And as an 18-year-old woman, you know, like these days there's Sarah Blakely, Susie Batiste. I always forget the chick's name that created Bumble. She's American, actually. She's young. She's only 20, 28 or something. What's her name? Whitney Wolfhards. If you don't know her, look it up. But she, she's a billionaire now. She's her a Bumble just got IPO'd on the stock exchange. Like she's a big deal, right? Which is awesome because it gives w- young women like we can do this. You know, now in Web3, there's women that are making millions. Like it's so cool. We have a reach, you know. You can have some chick in Africa that just got a phone who can look up to these women. When I was 18, I didn't have that. I also feel like I have experienced all facets of failure, success, all the things. And look, I really want to make sure that, you know, I made a few million when I was in my early 20s. People make that in a week now. So I feel like even my story is like meh these days because, yeah, we still aim to have a million dollars. Guys, a million dollars is nothing. Like, so I even feel like my story is a bit eh because I'm making, you know, two, three, four million by the time you're 23. Yeah, it's still a good feat. But these days, like, it's nothing. You've got, kids on YouTube making $30,000 a day. Well, but I think to your point, the, you know, the Sarah Blakely's and a lot of the examples, especially that we've seen this weekend, like they are a celebrity, they're married to celebrity, they're a professional athlete, they had a massive platform. And so one of my missions is, I mean, this whole series is called The Relatables because it, it's really easy to look at somebody that you feel like you can't relate yeah. to and be like, I could never do that. Totally. And so you started with like, I want people to know that if I can do it, they can do it. Exactly. So with that, and we're going to get to the woo now, segue, awkward segue, but like, and I don't know why this is coming up, but was there like a moment, like a calling, a download where you were like fucking women's wealth advocate, the daughter economy, like this isn't just me teaching people wealth management and growth. So I went underground for some five years. And when I say underground, this is probably not the space really to talk about it. I didn't do anything illegal, if that's what you're thinking, but I just completely withdrew myself from society in all the ways. Well, you've just gotten beat. Was that when you got beat for the second time? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I feel like when you just got your ass kicked and lost everything, it makes sense to retreat a little bit. I just felt like a complete failure. I, anyway, that's not the point of the story. So I completely withdrew. And then, you know, fate had it that I met Angel Phoenix in 2018, 2017, anyway, one of those years. And she's the one that kind of was like, wow, your story's incredible. You know, you really need to talk about it. And I was like, oh no, like I'm not incredible. I've just lost millions twice. Who the fuck wants to listen to me? Like, so anyway, slowly, slowly as our friendship grew, And as I began to have more and more confidence in myself and began to see that, because for me, I look at someone like Angel Phoenix, she has a lot of success, but her understanding of money, and I'm putting words in her mouth, so obviously this isn't what she has said to me, this is my perception of her at the time, that she didn't really understand money. She could make money, but she didn't understand it. And so I was like, wow, there's so many women out there who don't understand money. And so I started talking to her about how I really wanted to chat to women about money because everything that we learned, well, everything that I've learned through my journey, I've had to pay. Like I've literally spent over $2 million in my education. That does not include my degree. I've, I pay five or six figures a year for my mentors. Like I've done that since I was 23. Holy shit. And I just want that to land for everybody. Cause I, I've, I've added up the numbers for me. I think it's half a million, not including my education. So yeah, that's fucking powerful. And I know you shared a resource with me that was a five figure. I mean, it was yeah, $1,000 resource. Yeah. My first one-on-one mentor was a property developer who I'm friends with now. And I wanted to get him on board because I knew that I would get investors and the banks would lend me more money because of his name. You know, he was a billion dollar developer. I paid him $45,000. That was my first big spend to be my mentor for one year. I was 20, how old was I? 23 or something, 24, something like that. That's an interesting just sidestep because I think with the coaching industry and mentorship, it's the veil's been lifted. We're aware that most people built their success because somebody helped them. 
And, and I'm not talking about a parent writing a check or a fucking trust fund or privilege or nepotism. You know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, this is a completely random story. Forgive me. I don't remember why I was even having this conversation. But it was with somebody who was super, uber successful, multi, multi-millionaire. And they were saying, you know, they wanted to help a young man and their experience. And we're literally just going to write them a check. I think it was for, uh, it was a, uh, not a million dollars, somewhere up there. And he was saying, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger inspired him because he talked about when he first moved to the States and he was broke and living in an apartment. And the guys that own Gold's Gym brought him Thanksgiving dinner for his first Thanksgiving. And it changed everything for him. Like, and it was a it was a mindset shift more than anything else. But it also was the beginning of that relationship and so on and so forth. And so, for the person listening, know that no one wrote you a check. You found someone. They were influential. They were in the industry. You approached them and you made them an offer. They couldn't refuse. I did that actually to get into crypto. Somebody that I yeah. listened to for ages. I said, based on what I've gathered listening to everything you've ever fucking put out and read all of your content, I'm guessing you make this much money a week. So how about I pay you that and you teach me what you know? Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I I also wanted to say I didn't come from a silver spoon background. So the first property that my ex and I purchased, we saved for like ages and we had to put down you know, a 40, 50 grand deposit when we were super young and I was earning $18,000 working three jobs and he was earning $20,000 AUD, mind you, but still like it was nothing and we still had to live and we still had to do the thing. So anything is possible. I can hear in your head saying, oh, prices were different to buy, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, they were, but like don't make excuses because you'll, if you want, if you, you're always going to find excuses. But to continue your answer, um, your question around, you know, why women and stuff like that, it's because, so so I started this way and in 2019, started working with Angel Phoenix and I paid her money to work with her again, even though we were friends, because I believe in that true exchange. I don't believe in just because she's my friend, it doesn't mean that I don't pay her. She has her genius and so she should be rewarded for that. And I started speaking more about wealth and, and, and money specifically, and I wanted to, that to be more accessible for women. Anyway, then I kind of stopped and got off social media during the pandemic because my businesses were, my other businesses that I have, they needed me, my time. And during that time, I saw that a lot of other people started talking about money, but in my opinion and in my perception, in a way that is really incongruent with what money truly is and what wealth creation is. And so I've come back with a vengeance in 2022 because I believe, and this comes back to the time in 2017 when I made a pledge that we shouldn't have to pay for the wealth creation secrets that all these people charge us for. If someone is willing to learn and learn and do the work, then they will assimilate the free information that is out there. I remember my first corporate job, I worked for free for three months. It was during the GFC and no one could get a job out of university. I got a job and everyone's like, how did you get a job, Caroline? I worked at that at a corporate office with a reputable brand for four months for free. I had two mortgages to pay. Let me just tell you, I was a 20-year-old with two mortgages and I paid for, like I worked for free for four months. So if you're like, I have a mortgage and I have children and I have, I had a mortgage. I may not have had children, but I had a mortgage too, actually. Every opportunity I've ever gotten, every job I've ever gotten, I got because I started working. Exactly. And I just, I made myself indispensable and making myself, I remember, I forget where I heard this. But I didn't make myself indispensable by popping into the boss's office every day and being like, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? I looked exactly. the fuck around and I was like, oh, the trash is full. Let me take that. Oh, you're, you don't know who's going to pick up your kid from school. I can do that. Yeah. Oh, you're hungry. Here's your lunch. Initiative. And imagination. Creativity. Can I just say, um, Andy, who is the president of V Friends, if you don't know what that is, it's a company of Gary V's. He tweeted Gary V some years ago and said, Gary V, can I work for free for you? And now he's the president of one of his companies. Like that shit is real people. And it's not like 20, 30 years ago, it's still happening. Now, if someone had skills and said to me, Coraline, I want to help you like make the daughter's economy 
fucking go go hard and I will work for you for six months, 12 months for free and I want to be in your orbit, I'd be like, okay, fucking tell me. Tell me all the things that you're going to do for me. Coraline, I want to make the daughter economy go. Right, you're part of the daughter economy. Let <laughs> uh, three out. Let three out, baby. But I'm just saying like if you genuinely, like I, I'm, I'm guessing now I'm going to get all these DMs, but like it's not about like taking, it's about what can you give. Working for free for someone is about what can you give to them, not what can you take. I've seen it with so many of my friends who are influencers and have large, you know, companies. People want to be in their orbit because they want to take. What can, what can I get out of it? No, what can you give? And that was the theme this weekend. What can you give, not what can you take? So again, coming back to your question, for me, it's about making what the rich don't share essentially available to other people asset protection, you know, residual income, multiple income streams, um, you know, all the types of asset classes, what, what suits you, what's right for you, you know, all that kind of stuff, bringing that to the forefront so that it becomes a conversation in all, all households, not just households that have legacy wealth already established. It's getting hot in here. So one of the, I just want to bring this one home because like every person we saw on stage who has independently wealthy from crypto two years ago, didn't know what an NFT was. Everyone that was working in Garrett for Gary V started off as a member in their, his community. So yeah, that, if you think you're too late, if you don't think there's a way in, that's just not true. And also watch your mindset. Like if you feel like, oh, it's too late. Well, you're in luck. If you feel like there's not enough, you're in luck. If you feel like it's good for them and not for me, you are you are in, and I say this with so much compassion and kindness, you are in a space of so much fear that all you can think is about yourself rather than what you can give back. And that's a lesson for me that has taken me so long to get to because I have always worried about what I'm going to do for myself. When in reality, I've always got money in my bank account. I've always got a roof over my head. I've always got a bed to sleep on and I've always got food. And, you know, I, I speak about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If you don't know what that is, go and have a look. But when your basic needs are met, anything is possible. So when you are not grateful for where you are right now, of course you can't create anything else. One of my best friends, I just want to share this. One of my best friends that I've known since I was 15 says to me all the time, Coraline, if people knew all the things that you did, all the work that you put in, all the love, all the things, then they would never, ever be jealous of you. She's like, I have never once been jealous of you because as much as I would love to have the opportunities and the things that you do, she's like, I'm not willing to do the things that you do. And that's one of the reasons why I'm still friends with her because her and I are so different. Our lives are so different. Our values are so different. But the fact that she's willing to admit that she's not willing to do the things, I have so, so much like gratitude and honor for her because I'm like fucking good on you. Like where so many of us sit on our high horse on our couch wanting to do fuck all and yet we want all the things that the other person's got but we're not willing to do the thing. If you can admit that to yourself, then then you're already there, you know? If you're not willing to do the thing, there's nothing wrong with that. Live the life that you're living, but don't knock or have FOMO over the things that are happening. Stop, 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 stop. I know I diverted a bit, but Oh, no, no, no. It's all good. I just think it's just, it takes all types. It's not to say like build a multi-million dollar no. property portfolio or yeah, it's it's like, and what I love about the energy work, the energy of money, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, is just meet yourself where you're at. And, and like the lack comes up for me still. I have awareness around it. I'm very familiar with that energy. It is an old story. It's not my story. I haven't wanted for food. I'm very privileged. I have a fuck ton of agency. I'm a crazy person, let alone like I was raised by somebody who was brought up in an experience, like literally born in a gutter with fucking nothing. So I'm very aware that that's not my experience mm. and very fucking grateful that's not my experience. And so when that story pops up, I'm very aware it's my parents, it's their parents. So I think it just to anyone listening to this, we're not telling you what you should want or how you should build it. The point is, is that there is a path available to anyone where you can create whatever it is that you desire. Even, I mean, like I say all the time, I wish I desired the corporate gig. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> and it's, 
I invite anyone listening to this to really spend some time with yourself over the next few days, weeks, whatever it takes. Have you borrowed someone else's dream? Have you borrowed someone else's dream, someone else's vision, someone else's wants? And if you real and, and, and be really kind and honest and admit that to yourself, you don't have to tell anyone, just admit it to yourself and then come back to yourself and say, well, what is it that I truly want before I actually borrowed that vision and that goal and that dream from someone else? Because we all get wrapped up in that. I will tell you that I have borrowed so many visions. I have, I only had this conversation with myself three weeks ago. This is why I'm sharing it with you. I am in love with living in this little bloody town that's in the middle of nowhere. And I judged myself for that because I was like, I shouldn't want this. I should want to live on the East Coast in by the beach, you know, in my mansion or whatever, because that's what, that's what it's like. It's like, yeah, I love the water and I love the beach, but genuinely when I come to this place, my body tells me that it's so happy. And that it, and it feels at home and it finally relaxes. I don't get that anywhere else. And yet I'm like, but it's a shitty little town. But I'm the one, I'm the one labeling that. That's not actually the real story. That's just me labeling that. And I've lived there for 10 years. It's taken me this long to be like, no, that shouldn't be where I live. So that's why I'm sharing that with you because I'm still going through that now. Yeah, but growth never fucking stops. I can't wait to visit you in this little town, Beach Dubs. I love me some like small country, rural town. Oh, dinky die, love. Dinky die Aussies. So getting back like to the creativity of it, the, we talk a lot about intuition, you and I. And I think that's one of like your angles in terms of wealth advisory, wealth advocacy, women in wealth the way that women engage in money, the way that women work, the way that women make decisions, it comes, it, well, it can come when we've peeled back all of the layers and all the programming and all the brainwashing, let alone your own relationship with money. How, firstly, do you consider yourself a creative person? I never have until recently. Okay. Yeah. What allowed you to step into that place? I mean, I feel like, you know, age experience really just allowing myself to really own some of the things that I've never owned before. And as well, like coming back to what I just said around just owning what it is that I want without feeling like I have to justify myself because my vision is the what it is and no one will understand it. Like as long as I understand it, who gives a fuck what everyone else thinks? And for me, creativity really came from, I thought creativity was art. I thought that if I couldn't draw and I couldn't paint, then I wasn't creative. And I, my sister is like incredibly arty, arty farty as I like to call her. So it's a very Aussie term, endearing. But because I compared myself to her in that way, whereas I'm extremely creative when it comes to business, I'm extremely creative when it comes to strategies around wealth and asset protection and all that kind of stuff. And yet I've only really owned that piece of me probably really in the last six to 12 months that I am creative and that creativity doesn't have to come with paintbrushes and a canvas. It can come in so many different ways. Do you consider yourself a spiritual person? Yes. How? So one of the reasons I like to explore that's in this particular series is the energy of creativity is spiritual in my experience. And I think a lot of us felt like we had to go to a fine art school or, or be able to create a beautiful piece of artistic work in order to be creative. But I, I, I mean, everyone listening knows my creativity is my business. This is my creative expression right here. How does spirituality, well, firstly, I don't want to tell you how spirituality shows up. So I'd like for you to share that with us. You're open to it. But also, how does creativity and or spirituality influence your business influence, your wealth building, and how you are creating this daughter economy. So I'm going to share a story which will hopefully shed a light on this question. Maybe four to six weeks ago, I'm sharing some very recent stories actually that I haven't really spoken about with anyone. So uh, welcome to my brain. I realized that my intuition is actually so spot on, it's scary. To the point where I've taken, and, and this, this, I didn't do an ex this exercise 
as a FOMO exercise or as a way to like make myself feel bad. I did this exercise as a way to showcase to myself that yes, indeed, my intuition is actually fucking spot on. And so what I did was I went back to when I was 18 because 18-year-old Coco was heavily influenced. 25-year-old Coco, 30-year-old Coco, fucking 33-year-old Coco was heavily influenced. And it's not until really recently that I've really put my foot down. I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. You can do that. But that's not, that's not what I'm here for. And every time I go against my intuition, I get fucked over. So I went back since I was 18, all the investments that I made that went against my intuition and all the investments that I didn't do because I felt that my intuition was crazy. And I realized by doing the numbers, because I love numbers, I love spreadsheets, I love all that shit. I don't care if someone tells you it's masculine. If you love it, just fucking own it. I realized that I would be worth anywhere between 25 to $30 million had I listened to my intuition. Now that does not take into account market ups, market, market downs, right? That just takes into account what it would have looked like if I'd bought it and the value of it right now. So, you know, when I got divorced, we sold all our portfolio. So it doesn't take that into account, okay? So it could be less, it could be more, who fucking knows? But that was like roundabout. And I was like, holy fuck, 25 to $30 million had I not made the investment that my husband wanted to because it was ego, like it was came from ego, whereas my intuition was screaming, being like, we shouldn't do that. That second time around that I lost everything, that last project that I did that was actually like it was supposed to be, it was never supposed to exist because my last one was the one before, my intuition was screaming, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And my ego got in the way. It was like, why not? I can do this. It ended up in a, it was my worst project. Like it, it was the fucking worst project of history. I talk, talk to people in the industry and they're like, all those things went wrong. I'm like, everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. From the time of purchase to the fucking end, like everything went wrong. The best learning experience, I would never take it back. And so my intuition is everything. And now I realize that the, the more I listen to her, like I literally, she's like my best friend. The more that I listen to her, the more that my life feels lighter, better, like happier, more content, that I don't fight with myself. I don't have FOMO. I don't have any of those feelings that I used to have. I don't have lack. I don't have, you know, I have all of these projects that I'm doing. I was just saying to Beezy this morning, I have all these projects that I have. I don't know how they're going to get funded, but my intuition told me to do it. I'm building a childcare and I have to buy houses for my staff. And I went to put some offers in just a week ago. And then that's what my intuition told me. And then later on my intuition, I was just wait, actually just let's not do this right now. Let's just wait. I pissed the agent off, but I'm like, I don't give a fuck because I'm not going against her anymore. Like I just, I can't, I have had so many instances where she's shown me like you went against it. Oh, I'm going to fucking slap you in the face. And she's hit me with a bus like two or three times. Like I really, do I really want to live the rest of my life like that? No. So I've learned my lesson. I mean, it's taken me a fair while. <laughs> oh, girl, I've got like many years on you. And well, it's really tough. How do you create the space? It's really tough. Let me finish my sentence because my brain is going like a thousand miles an hour. We've been talking for a minute. So I just have a couple more questions for you. How do you create the space for your intuition? Like what is your kind of day to day or maybe weekly or monthly or moon cycle or whatever it might be? Like because we're not taught to create space, especially when business is our jam, when money is our language, when we're numbers people. And like you, you said, you know, I don't care if it's masculine, own it. Like, I think both of us are very comfortable in our quote unquote masculine. And we don't mean that in a gendered way. We all fucking know what the energy is. You're listening to this. I don't need to explain it to you. The point being, how do you, well, sorry, not the point being, what I'm asking is, how do you create space in your life, in your business, in your planning for your intuition, for your spiritual practice, if you even think about it like that? A few years ago, I would have told you that I had this beautiful morning practice and I did all the things. And the thing is, for me, when I did those things, it was just a tick the box. And so I find for me that having rituals actually cock, cock blocks my spirituality. And then I became a mother and it was like, oh fuck, I, don't, I can't do a morning practice anymore. But yet I'm the most spiritual and the most in tune with my, like, with my intuition than I've ever been. And I have less time than I ever had before. 
And so my practice is really just, and you know, I'm a splenic generator. So everything comes from my sacral. No, sorry. I'm a sacral generator, not my splenic. Everything I have, I feel. Whereas in the past, I was not in relationship with my body. I was not in relationship with my emotions. And because there was such a block there, I, I, even though I was doing the things, there was nothing flowing. Whereas now I'm so in, I'm in relationship with my emotions. I'm in relationship. You know, I've never cried so much in my life since I've had a baby. Like she's genuinely cracked me open. Again, as I said, like that's my experience. I'm not saying that has to be yours. Then Coraline keeps saying that because I don't have the kid. No, it's not. It's because I remember listening to people who had children and being like, how am I going to have that experience if I don't have children? That's why I'm saying that. They would say things like, oh, you know, if you don't have children, you wouldn't understand. Yeah. But I truly believe that if I had had children five years ago, I wouldn't have the experience that I had today. Having a child for me has been a journey from the cracking open. If I had had children 10 years ago, I wouldn't have had the experience that I had with my child 10 months ago. So again, like the child wasn't the reason I've cracked open. It was a series of events that led me to that. That's, I hope that makes sense to everyone. And so, yeah, my, pra- my spiritual practice and, and getting in tune with my intuition is like, I'll give you an example. This morning... Like I love exercising in the morning. I love that. Like for me, exercising is for my mental health. And I wanted to exercise really badly this morning. I wanted to get out. I wanted to get fresh air. And I woke up and my body was like, no. In the past, when I wasn't in tune, when I was all about the to-do, because, hey, I'm a generator. I love doing. I would have been like, nah, fucking suck it up. Get over yourself. Put your clothes on and go for a walk. And I would have just pushed through, pushed through all the things. And this morning I didn't. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to stay in bed and I'm going to sleep some more. In the past, I would have labeled myself lazy and wasting time and all the lack things. Whereas I was like, no, actually, I need to rest. I'm, I'm just going to do whatever my body needs to do. And I went back to, it took me a while because I was, my ego was fighting it. Oh, you shouldn't be sitting in bed. You don't have much time. You're not going to see BZ again. You should really go for a walk with her. You know, you should really get the fresh air, all the stories. But then I relaxed into it and my body went back to sleep for two and a half hours. That's how my practice looks now. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And I mean, to me that, I mean, I'm not trying to like judge anybody's practice here, but I've definitely been the like hardcore you journal for 15 minutes. Exactly, me too. <laughs> it is 12 minutes of breath work. Yes. And then you have your 90-minute asana practice. And I've also been the person that doesn't do it at all. And especially when I get really busy, it's the easiest thing for me yeah. to push aside. And so now I was telling you, like, I did a mega meditation. It's so funny to hear you say that because this morning I did a mega meditation because I could tell I was so distracted. And that for me, if I can't like count to like seven breaths, I know like I actually have to stop. And one of my things is time. That's a huge, I've talked a lot about it on the podcast. My lack shows up as time now because it's not money, but it's like, I don't know if I'll have enough time to do that. I don't know if, if that used to be one of mine as well on top of the money thing. So this morning, I was like, I know I need to connect and I'm not going to set an alarm because it's going to take as long as it takes. And then when I'm done, I'll reach out to Coco and we have plans this morning. So the limited time story absolutely crept in. And and that like I trust is like that for you. Trust is the way of like just underneath intuition, you know? So anywho, yeah, my practice this morning and like I met with my VA who's recording this, what up, Shannon? And I didn't know if I'd have time. And then I wanted to stop my whole, so anywho, like it, it, it's a, co- I'm sharing all of this so that you as a listener know, it's a constant negotiation for me. And, and I mean, like the boss, the person who's in charge is, you know, your higher self, whatever you, like it's that frequency that goes, everything is fine. You have everything you need. There's nothing to be afraid of right now. Like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, the seven levels of energy, whatever fucking dogma, framework, system, structure supports you. But yeah, meet yourself where you're at. So just two last questions. For someone listening to this, who's curious, potentially even passionate about wealth advocacy, building their own wealth, figuring out as a woman how to create not just a healthy but a prosperous relationship with them and all, you know, potentially even influencing their daughters, their sisters, their friends. What do you think 
a next step could be. And I know that, you know, people could be in all different state of relationship with wealth. So what kind of comes up with you as some takeaways for a listener who wants to be wealthy? Understand what your version of wealth is. That's the biggest thing. You know, for some people having $10,000 in their bank account is wealthy and that's their nest egg and that's their emergency fund and they feel so fucking wealthy. For some people, it's a million dollars. And if they go under that, they feel like, oh my God, that's not enough. For most of us, that's probably not the case. But understand what that number is for you. And, you know, people like to, at the moment, I feel it's like this trendy thing that you can't, I don't even know what they call it because it drives me nuts so much, but it's like this thing of if you spend the money, then it, the rest will come, you know, go and buy the thing that you want because then that's manifestation and then it's just going to come back to you. Because if you, if you buy that thing, then it'll come back to you. And it's like, well, I, I truly believe that that's a real thing, but your mindset and, your, and, and where you are in relationship with your body and your money mindset has to be at a certain level. If you're starting right now, do the th- you're going to hate me saying this, but do the, the basic steps. Do a budget. Save the money until, yeah, it's fucking boring. Like Sarah was just like, uh, blah, blah. And it's like, it's true. Like it's the stuff that we don't want to hear, but you've got to start there. You've got to do, you know, it's like, I want the abs. Okay, well, you're not going to get the abs tomorrow by like just not breathing. You've got to do the things. It's exactly the same with the money. So if you're paying a coach right now that's like, you know, if you just like sit in your couch for like five minutes and just do the manifestation, then like, yeah, the 10 grand will come or whatever their fucking version of that is. I can't stand it. You know, and people say to me, oh, well, you know, you budgeting's old school, Coraline. It doesn't work. Like, but I'm like, it, that's bullshit. That's bullshit. So go, you have to go back to the basics. The basics are important. What is your version of wealth? What baby steps you want? Like, it's like me wanting to have all the contacts and all the, all the companies that Gary V has. Like, I'm not there. I don't have the infinite contacts and the bank account that he has. So for me to want to be like that, yeah, I can emanate it at my level, at my level but not at his level. So what is your level? Work to that and work slowly. And don't expect that if you're not willing to do the work, then how are you expecting for that money to be in your bank account? Also, if I say $10,000 and your body has a visceral reaction to that amount, then work on that. Like what, why, what about that amount makes you feel gross? Is it because someone you knew then you hated had that much money? So then you're jealous. I don't know, whatever the fuck story, write the story down, write the thing that makes you feel sick. What's the first memory that comes out when you hear that number? You know, I, I play a game with myself every, that sounds really dirty, but anyway, I play with a game with myself every year, twice a year. And I've, I've spoken about this before. It's, I don't even have a name for it. I need to name it, but you give yourself an amount of money. You give yourself an imaginary check every day for however long you want to do it. Let's say you do it for 30 days and every day you do this and you give yourself a thousand dollars and you give yourself 2000 and you go up incrementally. And then when you get to 10,000, you can go up by 1000 or you can go up by 10,000 when you get to a hundred, right? Okay. You play that game, but then you have to spend that money every day. It's imaginary money. Okay. Someone one day thought that I meant that it was real money. It's not real money. It's imaginary money. You are going to get to a point where there's going to be a number that's going to feel sticky. And that's the number that most people stop this game at. That's where you know you've hit your your number. Don't stop. And you have to spend it. Okay. So a lot of us will be like, oh, I get the new car. I'll get the new this. Then you can also observe your behavior around money. What, what's my behavior around money? What are the things that I like to buy? Are they healthy? Is that what I'm doing right now? And that's why I don't have the money in my bank account. This is a very valuable exercise to do. So that's what I would say. You know, what's your number? What's the number that would make you feel wealthy? Work towards that. Do the boring things, the budgets, the, the saving, the, the blah, blah, blah. If you tell me right now that you can't budget, I'm sorry, but I was an 18-year-old <laughs> earning $18,000 a year. I couldn't even buy a fucking Freddo frog. I don't know what the equivalent is in America, but I couldn't even buy a candy that was 50 cents. You know, if I spent that 50 cents, my budget was out and I knew my budget to the T and I still managed to save to buy my next property, to buy my next property. So you like, yes, I am where I am today, but you can't tell me you can do it because I, I know you can. If you don't do it, then it's not your value and that's okay. Stop pretending it to be and stop wanting it to be 
and be jealous of others when it's not your value. Hope that helps. That was fucking phenomenal. I have like a thousand more questions, so there's definitely going to be a part two. I completely believe that what you spend your money on is what you value. And when I ask people to do their money values, that's the first thing I have to look at are their spending habit. And as someone who was, I was taught to budget. So again, privilege. But we had. It's the background of your parents too, right? Well, and, and penny pinching, I would watch people in my family try and haggle at the grocery store. And it was like, you know, I was horribly embarrassed by it. But when you start paying attention to every penny, budgeting becomes second nature. Like, I know exactly how much, like, I, I know exactly how much is going into my grocery cart because I used to not have enough money. So I'd get to the checkout and they'd be like, oh, this is $67. And it's like, cool, we have to put back the cheese. And I also, when I bought my first place, I think I was making maybe $27,000 a year. So yeah, the point being, it, it, it's all a practice. And we, did, we weren't born like this. It's something we paid attention to, to the point where it became second nature. And that's where I work with people in business because so many people in business especially the people that I work with now have a, they make a lot of money. They're very successful, but they have to steep shame because they don't understand how they don't understand. Like they can turn that money faucet on, but there's a fucking drain that that money is all draining. Through. And that's why I say income does not equate to wealth. Absolutely. So, okay. I'm, I can't ask all of the questions. Oh, wait, I do want to say one last thing though, because that exercise, that's like an Esther Abraham Hicks exercise, but I've never heard anybody take it to that next level where you spend the money because what usually then that creates the money flow and then you know where the money's going to go and that makes the manifesting here because it's just like energy moving. But like that place where the money gets sticky, that. Yeah, we give up. That's the ceiling. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so you the other day called me out because I was talking about how I've had to start over. And yes, it was by choice. I mean, very sudden choices that I would never have consciously made. They were offered to me and forced significant change. And I'm so comfortable in that change. And I actually fantasize about burning it all down a little too often. And you said, because you know that, you know how to do that. You don't know how to take it to the next level. You don't know what that check is that feels sticky. So thank you, because I'm going to fucking do that. Did she leave? Yeah. Now, go. <laughs> leave bye. now, please. Yeah, go. So how can people find you? Like, where are you at in terms of your wealth advocacy and enabling women to have these conversations? I kind of know the answer, but I actually don't know the answer. Well, it's all really new, to be honest. I have several businesses that I've been automating so that I can bring more time to this. So yeah, this is this is a really new initiative for me. It's something that I want to give back to. You can find me on Instagram under Coco Defro. I'm sure BZ's team will link it all together. And in the next couple of weeks, so, you know, we're mid-May right now, mid-May 2022. In the next couple of weeks, I will have a lot of free resources available on my website. And and that's how it's going to be is, is for me, wealth advocacy will be about me sharing, you know, my main platform is Instagram. So come and visit me there. I'm going to reinstate my, my podcast, but I do have a podcast as well. The link's on my Instagram. And it's just going to be me, you know, sharing conversations, really linking to other women like you who have podcasts, who have communities so that I can go and talk to people so that I can get the message far and wide that I have this saying that wealthy women win and that the more women that have money the more that we can do good in the world. So that that's where I'm at with my wealth advocacy. There's so much to come. Obviously, the daughter economy is also a huge initiative that's going to change the lives of small and young girls. And, and the reason why we want to get it there is, you know, I was saying to BZ last night, it's taken us 15, 20 years to get here to be like, oh, okay, we've really worked through our money stories and, and, and we finally believe in ourselves. If we can really get the girls at a young age and start that by the time that they're, you know, late teens, mid twenties, imagine the opportunities that will be available to them because they're not working through this stuff. So that that's for me, you know, also the environment, web three, web four, the opportunities for women are changing drastically. The barriers to entry for women are pretty much non-existent these days. So yeah, it's for me, it, it, this is just beginning. I'm really excited and I'm so grateful that you've had me on your platform to share that. 
Thank you so much. You know, when you said wealthy women win, my, I heard, and the world wins. And it's, you're absolutely right. When women are able to take care of their communities and take care of their families, like everything changes. And that's why there's so many different initiatives that put money into the hands of women in the forms of micro grants and education and technology. So I'm just so fucking honored to be sitting across from you, let alone talking to you, let alone to be friends with you. And I wasn't fucking joking about the Web 3.0. Like, can I work for the daughter economy for free? I'll start off as your intern, your Web 3.0 intern. And she's laughing. I don't think she thinks I'm serious. No, but she's part of it. She's crazy. I am crazy. <laughs> uh, well, and I'm cracking this code as well. Yeah. And, and I believe, like, until I figure it out, I want as many guinea pigs. You're not guinea pigs. We love you. We won't hurt you. Kate studies. Okay. Beta, beta launch tests. Yeah. But I also need to say, someone else who's absolutely integral and the connector and the reason why we're here, Angel Phoenix. She is also doing, I mean, the work that she does, she's transformed me. She's transforming social media. She's creating a pro-social relationship. And when we talk about access, you know, one of the things I'm very fucking aware of and have never figured out until the last couple of months is how powerful of a tool social media is. And in terms of women building business, building wealth, building security, I, I mean, we see so often how this tool can not just connect people, not just save people, and it can now be their actual monetization vehicle. So I just want to thank Angel because you and I wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation mm, without her. True. And I encourage anyone who's listening this to visit the underscore Angel Phoenix on the Instagram. I'm going to put all of the links in the podcast. I know if you've been following me on socials, which you should do at the BZ channel, you will have heard and continue to keep hearing about Coco and Angel and you're fucking welcome. If you're still listening, you love it. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart. I love you. I would love to hear from you. Any questions? Hello at NicoleBZ.com. If you want to stay in the loop, sign up for the loop at NicoleBZ.com. That's where you're going to get all the drops, all of the things that I'm working on. Also, lots of freebies coming out. Web 3.0, Business 3.0, all sorts of super fucking exciting projects with the aforementioned amazing humans that I get to work with. So, 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 so much happening. Thank you so much for listening. I love you. 